hello, hello, New York Rangers fans, and what a time it is to be rooting for this team. Welcome to episode 75 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vince Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and I have a, a big message for you guys. It's June, and we are still talking hockey. That is because the Rangers advanced past the second round, rallied back to beat the Carolina Hurricanes, and they already have a one to nothing lead on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals. So things are happening fast, but the only thing that we know for sure is that the Rangers continue to march on, continue to defy the odds, continue to exceed expectations, and they are rolling right now. I would argue playing their best hockey of the season at the perfect time. We're going to get into all that. I do want to make sure that I mention at the top here that we will have a guest this week to help us preview the series, get some insight into the Lightning, the Rangers opponent in the Eastern Conference Final, and that will be Eric Erlinson of lightninginsider.com. We'll dive into what's the latest with Tampa, the Braden Point injury, which is definitely a big point of intrigue, and it does not sound very likely that we'll see him in this series after I heard John Cooper, the Tampa coach, speak on Wednesday. Key matchups, all that kind of stuff. But we obviously have to start by talking about the blue shirts and all the good vibes and the good stuff that is going on for them right now. They are absolutely buzzing, as I'm sure you all know. I'm sure you all are locked in on every minute of every game right now because it is the time of year where it just doesn't get any more exciting than what we're seeing right now. It really flipped and turned for the Rangers after game five against Carolina. You guys will remember Gerard Gallant came out after that game and was critical of his team. He said they looked tired. And I think that raised some questions about are they running on fumes at this point? This is a team with so many young players as that narrative has been beaten to death. But a lot of them have never played anywhere near this amount of games in a season Two grueling series. Both of them go seven games in the first two rounds. So you were wondering if they were running out of steam. But what we've seen in the last three games is arguably, I think, their best three games of the playoffs. Think about this, and, and this especially speaks to the way that the offense has awoken in the last three games. They've scored 17 goals in games six and seven against Carolina and game one against Tampa Bay when you combine the totals. More than five, five or more in each game, I should say. In the first five games against Carolina, they only scored nine. So they were averaging less than two goals a game for the first five games against Carolina. And now, all of a sudden, they're averaging over five in their last three games. So I don't know what's gotten into them. I, I had written last week after that game five poor showing that I thought they needed to start embracing their skill more, start taking risks, open things up. And it certainly seems like that's what they've been doing in these last three games. If you watch them, in particular in game one against Tampa, you know, against Carolina, they were very worried about that four check, worried about neutral zone turnovers that would lead to odd man rushes. They were dumping and chasing a lot, dumping and changing a lot, which was really just continually handing possession back to the Carolina Hurricanes. What we're seeing now, and this definitely started in game six and seven against Carolina and has really carried over at least into game one of the Eastern Conference Final, is that they just seem to be connecting on more passes and entering the offensive zone with more speed, more purpose. It, it just seems like they're more connected 
right now with the way that they're attacking from an offensive standpoint. And it's really been stark. And if they are playing this way, if they are creating chances at this rate, if they are coming at the at the opposition with this type of speed and this type of skill, you couple that with Igor Shosturkin, you've got a really difficult team to beat. I've told you guys before that I think Gerard Gallant does stay pretty on top of what's being written. He's pretty much told us that on a handful of occasions over the course of this season. And so I asked him last night, Wednesday night, uh, so by the time this is recording, it'll be a couple days, but after game one, I asked him, are you guys, you know, what's the difference offensively for you guys right now? He winked and said, I told them to open it up. Now, that was sarcasm on his part, I'm pretty sure at least. In, In reality, he keeps insisting that he hasn't changed anything, but at least as far as the players look, they are playing with a lot more confidence with, with each passing game. And look at all of the guys that are getting involved. They had 12 players on the score sheet in Game 7 against Carolina, and they had 11 players on the score sheet in Game 1 on Wednesday. So they are getting contributions up and down the lineup. And, and I do think that there is something to the matchups and the opposition and the opponent and the way that the opponent plays. Artemi Panarin said that after the game. He said Carolina and Tampa play two different styles. He said the Canes use more man-to-man, and we know that the Rangers were very concerned with that Carolina forecheck. They don't seem to be quite as concerned, at least based on what we saw in Game 1, by Tampa Bay in, in that regard. Mika actually said at one point during the Carolina series that he thought that they were giving Carolina too much respect. So I think the Rangers, at least mentally, whether it was an adjustment from Gallant or whether it was the players doing it themselves, they had to flip that switch where they said, you know what, we don't need to play timid. We don't need to play tentative against this team. We can take it to them to, to a certain extent. Now, the Rangers were still widely outpossessed by Carolina. The Rangers still were outshot, outchanced, all that stuff. I, I wrote about this for my pregame story for, for game one. The Rangers are not a great possession team. If you look at the analytics, and I know, you know there's always a debate about how much, how much stock we should put into that. I put some stock into it, but I also think you have to consider all factors. So I, I, I'm a combination of, of everything, I would like to think at least. And so what a lot of these analytics focus on are shot rates and possession, right? The Rangers aren't good at that, or generally speaking, aren't good at that. But what are the Rangers good at? Well, number one, of course, we know they have elite, elite goaltending, and Igor Shesterkin has by far been the biggest X factor for them in these playoffs. So that covers up all kinds of warts. Another thing the Rangers have done well in these playoffs is special teams. They are the second highest rate power play in the playoffs of all 16 teams who have been in the playoffs. They were converting, I know, going into game one at at 32.5%, I believe it was, which is a very good percentage. And their penalty kill has been very solid. Their penalty kill is keeping teams to under 20%. So you you got elite goaltending. You're constantly winning the special teams battle. And what else do you have? You have elite finishing ability. Whether it's Zabanajad, Kreider is a high-percentage shooter. Philip Heedle has suddenly turned into a high-percentage shooter. We're definitely going to talk about him. Andrew Kopp has been a high-percentage shooter. You still have Panarin, who we all know when he decides to shoot the puck is usually pretty good at it. So the Rangers, while they don't generate as many scoring chances as some of the top, top teams in the league, when they get their chances, they convert. So that is an important factor here as well. They have finishing talent. And then... One thing that I think you also have to factor in that 
isn't really quantifiable by stats is this it factor that they seem to have, this this character, this never say die, this no quit in New York thing. There is really something to that. There is a feeling in that locker room right now that no matter what the circumstances are, this team is always going to find a way to win. And when you combine all that, you can overcome bad expected goal rates. You can overcome bad possession numbers or bad shot numbers. So I, I, I think that that when you analyze this team, you can't keep thinking it's smoke and mirrors at this point. They're in the Eastern Conference Final for a reason. They have arrived as one of the best teams in the NHL. Their window to contend is clearly wide open. And this all bodes very well for the future. But right here and now, you want to take advantage of this opportunity. You never know what could happen down the line. You never know injuries or regression or whatever it might be. You want to seize this opportunity right now. And the Rangers are playing like a team that wants to seize this opportunity. Of course, as we talk about the future, though, we have to dive into the kid line, which once again in game one, we've repeated this throughout the playoffs, was a driving force for the Rangers. And in particular, we have to talk about Philip Heedle. He had two pivotal goals in game one, gave the Rangers a 3-2 lead, and then added to it to make it 4-2 and really effectively buried Tampa Bay. From that point on, it was all Rangers. Philip Heedle, in the last three games, all well, two were elimination games and then game one against Tampa, five goals in the last three games and is playing with more confidence than we have ever seen from him before. You, you, we talked to Gerard Gallant about this after the game. I asked him a question because he's hinted at this before, but I wanted to nail him down on more specifics if I could asked him about this conversation that apparently he had with Heedle after many of you will remember Heedle had been a healthy scratch in two consecutive games in late February. And when that happened, there were legitimate questions about what is his future in this organization. We know the Rangers center depth has been their main source of or their weakest point as far as depth, we could say. They re-signed Zabanajad to the extension, but after that, there's a whole lot of question marks because Strom and Kopp are both going to be free agents. And Hedl really hasn't shown enough consistency in his four-plus seasons in the NHL to make you feel really confident about handing him a role moving forward. So I think there were questions about, is Hedl going to be around long-term? Could he be trade bait? What, what are they going to do with him? Do they really think that he's a middle six center on a contending team? Well, right now, it looks like not only a middle six center, you could make a case that that he's rising to the level where you could put him into the conversation for second line center next season if need be. Still believe the Rangers are going to try to sign somebody or bring somebody in to play that role. Cop might be the leading candidate right now, but there's going to be a variety of factors that we talk about as we get into the offseason. That's a conversation for another day. But Gallant said that he had this conversation with Heedle after those scratches when all these questions were being raised. And he went back to this line that you guys have heard before where he told him to play more like Mika. And at the time, I think when it was said, it almost sounded insensitive, like an oversimplification. Of course, everybody would like to play like Mika. He's the best center on the team, but it's easier said than done. And he's his own unique player, as Mika has pointed out. And Hedl is a different player in his own right. But the message was just simplify and focus on becoming a better two-way player. It starts with Gallant, as it always does, with being more committed to defense and the forecheck, which Heedle certainly has been in these playoffs. You've seen him make plays 
creating creating turnovers, pestering guys when they're trying to break it out of their own zone, using his speed to get in people's face. So he's definitely been better in those areas. But then the other thing that he's doing offensively is just simplifying by pushing the pace with his speed. That is his biggest gift. That is his best asset is his speed. And you see him getting up and down the ice really quickly and with a lot of purpose and really pushing the pace, especially from the middle, from the center position. That's really, really important for the style that Gallant wants the Rangers to play. And then maybe the simplest part of all of it is he is shooting the puck. He's actually, as you guys know, as, as I've tweeted out some of the quotes from, from press conferences with him, he's been one of the most vocal guys on the team saying, we don't always need to go for that extra pass. We need to shoot more. We need to test these goalies more. And, and he has been living by those words. He has been pulling the trigger on the shot whenever he can. He does not hesitate. There was that sequence at the, I believe, I'm, they're all blurring, but I believe it was game seven against Carolina where him and Lafreniere come down on a two-on-one rush. Lafreniere feeds Heedle. He misses the net. Now, a lot of young players miss an opportunity like that in a huge elimination game, and it's going to get to them. It's going to shake their confidence. Heedle, on the other hand, about a minute later, gets another rush opportunity, has an opportunity to shoot. I was kind of thinking he might pass given the fact that he just missed the net, but he didn't. He wound up, he shot, and he scored. And it was a huge goal for the Rangers, and it was a huge goal for him. So you're seeing him do what he says he needs to do. You're seeing him live by the words of shoot more, play fast, forecheck, defend. He's doing all of those things. And, and to me, he's been the biggest breakout star for the Rangers in these playoffs. A lot of the young kids have played really well. Lafreniere, I think, has been great. Keandre Miller has been great. He assisted on the second Heedle goal in game one against the Lightning. And that shift, we should touch on that shift really quick too. I've seen some people tweeting at me calling it the shift. It has been the most memorable shift of these playoffs, I would say, for the Rangers so far. The Rangers had like 90 seconds of sustained offensive zone time. Maybe not quite 90, but I know it was over a minute when they were leading three to two. And that kid line was just relentless, retrieving pucks, shooting pucks, being physical, not letting Tampa break it out of their own zone. I think Sergikov had like a two and a half minute shift on that. They were pinned in their own zone for a long time. The D, the decor as well, Adam Fox made a really nice play to reach up and grab a puck with his hand and, and make sure that Tampa wasn't able to clear it. Keandre Miller makes a great play to attack and then feed Heedle uh, on the weak side and Heedle finishes off with the one-timer. So that shift is definitely a memorable shift and it shows how hard the kid line is working, how well they are playing to their roles and what a difference they are making for the Rangers right now. I, I wrote this in my preview for the series. Tampa, because of the Braden Point injury, had to move their centers each up a notch. So their third line had come together pretty nicely after the trade deadline when they got Brandon Hagel from the Chicago Blackhawks and Nick Paul from the Ottawa Senators. But now Paul, because of the point injury, has had to move up to the second line. And the Tampa third line looks a little bit more vulnerable now. And so in that matchup, when you look at the two third lines next to each other, the Rangers, talent-wise, definitely have an advantage there. And I believe that the kid line has an opportunity to make a really big impact in this series and tilt the ice in the Rangers' favor when they're out there. And they definitely did that in Game 1. Huge game for them. Big game for Igor Shesterkin, who definitely outplayed Andre Vasilevsky as far as who the best goalie in the world is and that whole debate, which is going to be beaten to death over the course of this series. 
he definitely got a leg up in game one. 37 saves looked really, really solid. Vasilevsky, let's be honest, he did not look like his usual self. He looked rusty. And I think that was emblematic of where the two teams are at right now. The Rangers are riding momentum. They came after two huge wins over Carolina in game six and game seven. They really didn't have any time to to feel too good about themselves or, or overthink anything. They just kept playing. They only had one day off before the Eastern Conference Finals started, and they had to roll right into it. Meanwhile, Tampa had eight, nine days of, of inactivity. They just had light practices, no game action. They had swept the Florida Panthers. So they were just sitting around and waiting for a long time. And I really think that as much as you, you appreciate that rest to get your guys healthy, which it did for them in the case of Hagel, who was able to play in game one, but it did not help them with point, there is something to losing momentum or losing your rhythm during that time off. And Tampa, in spurts, I thought showed how good they are. I thought after Mika Zibanejad scored to begin the game, that Tampa had a good push for a while, but they couldn't sustain it. And Vasilevsky was rusty, and a bunch of other guys were rusty, and, and Igor certainly frustrated them. And so you have a Tampa team that I think is probably only going to get better over the course of the season as they sort of get their sea legs back under them. And before we get to Eric in a minute, the last thing I'll leave you with is this. Mika cautioned after the game when we spoke to him. Mika is never too high or too low. Mika, he almost whispers when he talks, whether they come off a huge Game 7 win or a brutal loss. Mika's always kind of the same, I would say. And he cautioned after the game, and I think this was a message to the team. He said, it's only one nothing. We know it's far from over. I do expect Tampa to bounce back. I, I certainly don't think this is going to be an easy series for the Rangers. I think... Tampa will find themselves a little bit. They will play much better than what we saw in game one, but the Rangers needed to take advantage of that opportunity and they went bowling through that door. They they were outstanding in game one. They've been outstanding for the last three games and they're playing their best hockey at the perfect time. My pick, I wrote this in my preview. You guys can go check it out at loha.com slash sports slash Rangers. I had in the preseason picked Tampa and Colorado to play in the Stanley Cup final. I picked Colorado to win it. So Tampa getting to this point made me feel like, okay, well, the two teams I picked to make the Cup final are still alive. I kind of got to stick with my original pick. But I'm not feeling super confident right now. I feel like this is really a 50-50 series. Of course, Tampa is is super dangerous. And the way that they just dismantled Florida with a four-game sweep, I think, speaks volumes. And so it's not going to surprise me at all if Tampa rallies back and plays much better and wins this series. But the Rangers, they have this mojo right now. They have this it factor right now. And I can I cannot dismiss that either. I feel like something special is brewing with this team. So it's going to be a fun series, everybody. It's been fun so far. Maximum seven games in each of the first two rounds. Part of me would rather this not go seven, <laughs> seven games again so I can maybe get some sleep a couple days in between. But... It's definitely going to be a fun one, and it was a it was a party at Madison Square Garden on Wednesday night. That is for sure. The crowd was raucous. The crowd was into it. It was a really, really fun environment. So with that, let's get to our interview with Eric, and then I will be back following that interview with Eric and following today's practice to answer some of your Twitter questions. And now let's welcome back to the show for the second time as a guest on the new Ice City podcast. That would be Eric Erlinson, 
of lightninginsider.com. We had Eric on, I think it was last summer, right after the Rangers acquired Barclay Gaudreau to give us the insight into what the Rangers were getting with him. And now we have him on to preview the Eastern Conference Final as the Rangers and the Lightning go head-to-head for a chance to go to the Stanley Cup Final. Game one is in the books. So the Rangers looked really good in that game. The Lightning, I think a lot of people felt like looked kind of rusty. Obviously, we know they had that nine-day layoff and they hadn't played after sweeping the Florida Panthers in quite some time. So, Eric, I know you just came from practice for Tampa Bay today, Thursday in, in New York City. Just give me team reaction, what you sense the mood is around them coming off of that game one loss. Disappointed in their effort, for sure. Uh, you know, the, the layoff, it's funny. We, we have this discussion anytime a team has this type of a layoff because it's so unusual, right? If, if teams go more than four days between games during the regular season, it's a big deal. And now you go nine games between, and not only just nine days between, you have to get yourself geared up for the semifinal round. And I think they started the game fine. And then they just tailed off. So it's almost like the rest kind of did the reverse effect, right? Because you hadn't played a, a high intense game in almost two weeks and you get into it and you just run out of gas. And, and it just felt like in the, in the latter parts of the second period, they ran out of gas in that one. So it kind of did the reverse effect of what we thought the rest would be. Uh, so, you know, as this team has done, they got back to work and, had an up-tempo practice to try and get that feeling back a little bit. And now they hope that they get into the rhythm of a series again, because there is a rhythm to it. And that's, you know, again, we think of the rhythm the Rangers were in, right? You think, oh, maybe they're going to be the team that's tired because they just came off back-to-back seven-game series. They They didn't have 24 hours to digest beating Carolina before they had to get ready for Tampa Bay. But, you know, they were in that rhythm and it certainly showed. Uh, in game two or in game one, rather. So from Tampa Bay's perspective, disappointed with how that game went, felt good about some aspects of what they were able to accomplish, even though they weren't able to solve Igor Shosturkin, maybe as much as they were to have in that game. And um, this just, they have this ability to adjust from one game next, especially after losses. And, you know, you can't guarantee what things are going to be in game two, but they've they've gone back to the tape, looked at it, and they'll have their adjustments ready for uh, for Friday night. It's interesting that you say up-tempo practice because the Rangers have not really done a full practice in weeks. They are trying to save their legs as much as possible, as you touched on after those two grueling series. And I, I am curious to see if over the course of this series, if some of that wear and tear starts to show. Now, after game five against Carolina, when the Rangers looked pretty lethargic, Gerard Gallant came out and called them tired. So they looked like maybe it was getting to them, and we know that they have a roster filled with players who have never played this deep into the playoffs or or played in the playoffs at all, for that matter. So I'm curious to see if it catches back up to them at any point. The last three games, they have been flying. I think that the pace that they have been playing with, the way that they've been able to open things up offensively has been probably better than at any other point during the playoffs. So they, they look really good right now, but I do wonder if, especially going into game two, Tampa was able to shake off some of that rust. And I think the Rangers are definitely expecting a better effort. And and this stat is the stat that everybody was talking about at Rangers media availability today. And that is that the lightning are 17 and O dating back to 2020 in the playoffs following a loss. 
So I, that, I mean, to me, that just tells you about the resiliency of this group. And that, that speaks to why they've been able to have so much success because they don't let these losses snowball. So I would anticipate that, that you're probably figuring we're going to see a better effort from them on Friday. Oh, for sure. Um, again, you can't guarantee what the result's going to be, but w- with the way this team's approach has been, especially the last two postseasons, and then now here into the third straight trip to the uh, semifinal round, is they they don't dwell on what just happened. They push past it, and they understand what they need to do to correct themselves. And you, you've got a veteran group now, right? Like Steven Stamkos is now 32 years old. Victor Hebbins, 31 years old. I mean, these guys have been around the league for a while. There are not many situations that this core has come across that like anything that you can imagine in a playoffs, they've come across. The one thing, ironically, they hadn't was a sweep. They hadn't swept a team in a playoff series under John Cooper until they did it to the Florida Panthers. So this was a little bit of an adjustment to them, but they just know how to come out and, and put themselves in the position to give yourself the best chance to win the game. It never guarantees victory, but it does put you in position to give yourself the best chance to win. And that's how they approach it. And they've got the skill to do it with Kucherov and Stamkos and Hedman and Palat and, and these guys that you know how to score goals in the postseason. Um, they, they've become a much better defensive team. We didn't really see maybe as much of it last night as we had so far, uh, especially the, the previous you know five games and closing out Toronto and then the four games against Florida uh, weren't as many block shots. They weren't, limiting those those passes through the seam areas as much as they did in the in the previous so they'll adjust to that part of it um, but they just they just have a, an ability to understand what they did wrong and how to make it go right when you look at this team i think everybody around the league when we saw them sweep florida who i know a lot of people felt like florida was flawed obviously they were but they did win the president's trophy they were one of if not the best team in the league during the regular season the way that the lightning swept them. So it looked like easily from afar. I'm wondering if that made you start to really think like, okay, this could be something special again. And I'm also curious how you compare this team to the previous two. A lot of the stars are still there, but I know Braden point isn't, which will, I I do want to ask you about that. We'll get to him for sure. But when you look at this team overall, how, how does it, do you feel like it's just as good as the teams that you've watched the previous two seasons that won cups? We'll start with the Florida question first. Um, I, I was surprised that they swept the Panthers. Uh, I really thought the Panthers could probably take advantage of their speed against a lightning team that's played more games than anybody else over the past two plus years. And they didn't do it. They didn't come out and, and play the game fast. Uh, much like the Rangers did in game one, they played the game fast and, you know, now Tampa has to adjust to that uh, type of speed again. Uh, But they, you know, the lighting just slowed the Panthers down and they didn't feed the Panthers. They didn't turn those pucks over at the blue line. Florida is such a dangerous team on transition with the forwards groups that they have and how deep they are, uh, especially in their top nine forwards that they didn't feel those. They didn't let Barkov and Huberto feel good with the puck on their stick. I mean, John Huberto, who was terrific last year against Tampa Bay in the first round was almost invisible in this, in this second round series this year uh, because they kind of took his game away from him. So I was surprised that uh, they were able to do that, but I can tell you too, it was a hard fought series. I know it was four games, 
But, uh, you know, the images from game two and watching Corey Perry get knocked on the head in, in warm-ups and have to leave the ice and come back, watching Eric Chernak and Mikhail Sergachev both have to leave the ice after taking pucks to the face, Steven Stamkos three times leaving the game because of block shots and having to come back, Brandon Hagel limping, needed help, and that image – of Steven Stamkos having to sidestep Hagel coming down the locker room back to the bench just so Hagel could get back to the medical room. Um, you know, that, 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 that series took a bite out of Tampa Bay, um, even though it was only four games. So the rest to help maybe so you know, those bruises don't become so swollen uh, start to, uh, you know, subside a little bit. Uh, and then in trying to compare the teams, they're, they're different um, in a lot of ways just because you don't have the Gord, Coleman, Goodrow line. That trio was so important in terms of five-on-five five play, the matchups that they were able to put them out against. I mean, that those three guys started almost every single period of every single playoff game for two postseason runs. Uh, I want to say maybe there were one or maybe two that they didn't. So you're missing that quote-unquote identity part of their lineup with those three missing. And that's why they went out and they acquired Brandon Hagel and they acquired Nick Paul at the trade deadline, not to replace those guys, but to replace some of the elements that they were missing because those aren't, those guys aren't there. I mean, you look at Nick Paul and what he's been able to do, obviously the two goals in game seven against Toronto and how he's been able to step up here in the absence of Braden point specifically in matchup situations and face-offs, you know, Brandon Hagel has that hard to play against element to his game. He's not a big guy, but he, boy, he gets it on the four check and, you know, can disrupt things with his speed. And um, so it, it's, it has a different feel to it just in terms of the personnel being different, but the way they approach the game and because the core has been together for so long, everybody just kind of fills in and, and falls in line with what the team wants to accomplish. Well, let's talk about point. I, I wanted to ask you about the third line, but you just hit on a lot of that stuff, which I think is interesting. And I'm, I wrote about this in my preview. When you look at what the Rangers are getting from their third line right now with the, with the kids and the way that they're chipping in a lot of offense and, and I think being pretty well-rounded players as well. I, I think that is something that maybe could tilt the series is which one of those third lines outperforms the other. And obviously the Rangers had the advantage in game one, but the, the, a huge thing. I mean, I don't know if there's any way to overstate this. Braden Point, to me, watching the Lightning, at least, you know, watching them closely in the playoffs, which is when I've been able to watch them closest the last couple of years, I, I could make an argument that I thought that Point might have been their best player in a lot of those games. And not having him could be massive for them. And I was, you know, I, w I went to the press conference with John Cooper before game one, and he sounded pretty pessimistic about the chances that we would see him in this series. It didn't sound like he ruled it out, but he also said we need to temper expectations. So, from what you can tell, does it look like the chances of, of point playing in the series are pretty long? A and what would that mean to the Lightning? Obviously, they overcame it against the Panthers, but you know, what kind of player can you tell fans that he is that they'd be missing? Well, first of all, um, Julian Brisebois told us back in January to temper our expectations when it came to the trade deadline because they had no cap space. <laughs> he brought in Brandon Hagel and Nick yeah. Paul. So, yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll take those, uh, those comments with a grain of salt. Because kind of like uh, Gerard Gallant told us before game six that uh, Barclay Gaudreau wasn't going to play. And then he came out for warmups. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there, there's all these kind of mind games that, uh, that you know, we, we have to uh, try and read between the lines a little bit. And I, and I think he was trying to maybe throw people off the track a little bit, because I can tell you, 
the fact that he skated after the optional morning skate prior to game one was back out on the ice today after practice was over skating by himself. He looked a lot more comfortable out there today than he did yesterday. We don't know the nature of the injury. We know it's leg related just based on how he went crashing into the boards and had that leg pinned back in game seven against Toronto. Uh, I was under the assumption early on that, okay, if he comes back at all during the playoffs, that's a bonus for Tampa Bay. And maybe they have to approach it as as if he's not going to play, which is kind of what John Cooper tried to lead us down last night um, before the game. But uh, I, I just watching him today and just sort of looking at how he's out on the ice, he looks like a guy who's not far off. And, and without knowing the nature of the injury, he just the comfort level. That's what you have to look for. It, it, he, his acceleration that he was showing during some of the, the little things he was doing individually, the cuts that he was making, I, I get just the feeling that we'll see him in this series. It, it's not going to be game two, I don't think. Um, game three is an afternoon game, so there's no morning skate. So, you know, you want to try and read between some things there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if when this series shifts back to Tampa that we see him in the lineup. And he is an important player. He's Some of the big goals that he scored for this team uh, obviously led the postseason and goal scored the last two years at, uh, you know, 28 goals. The prior two years, that five overtime game winner against Columbus. He had the series clincher also in overtime against Columbus in 2020. Uh, he had the game six overtime goal against Toronto to extend that series to a game seven. He's, he just comes up with big moments. His chemistry with Nikita Kucherov and the way that they work together. You know, Kucherov is such a, a craftsman with the puck and, and Braden Point speed can push back defensemen to create opportunities for one or the either in the way that Kucherov can pass the puck. Um, they're, they're a pretty good combination. There's a reason Nikita Kucherov has led the playoffs in scoring the last few years. And there's a reason that Braden point has led the playoffs in goals the last few years because of how well they do work together. And, and I also think too, the other element of, you know, Braden point potentially uh, maybe coming back is he gets Tampa Bay back to a 12 and six situation. They've had to go 11 and seven ever since point was injured. Uh, so all four games against the Panthers and obviously game one, 11, seven, I anticipate we'll see that again for game two. And as long as points out, I think they're going to stick with 11 and seven, but 12 and six just balances everything out. It, in, in it, the advantages of playing 11 forwards, you get Kucherov out there for a couple of extra shifts per game or Stamkos, a couple of extra shifts per game on different lines that kind of give matchup situations for the other team to think about. Uh, but 12 and six, this team is better suited for. And Braden Point is a impact player and his absence eventually will be felt. Uh, but so will his presence if he makes it back. Very interesting. So that, that is definitely something to keep an eye on. Now, let me ask you this. Whether it's just one more game, multiple games, whatever it is, without point in the lineup, Stamkos, you touched on, he had a resurgent year, over 100 points. Kucherov, I love watching him play. I, I thought he had a lot of really high-quality chances in game one. It looked like Igor might have frustrated him toward the end of the game. Obviously, he wasn't able to beat him, but he was definitely creating. And then we know what Hedman can do from the blue line and the way that he's able to chip in points. Do, do they have enough offensive firepower if Point doesn't play to, to win this series? They do. They have the depth for it. Um, the point's a big part of it for sure. But I mean, you look at their postseason goal scores, like Corey Perry's got five, Ross Colton's got five, Steven Stamkos has five, Andre Pallad has five. I mean, they, they're just up and down. Um, you know, Nikita Kucherov, I don't like, 
I would sit here and say Kucherov leads him in points in the postseason. I would argue and tell you that he hasn't been anywhere near his best in this playoffs, maybe a game or two here or there. Uh, but he has not been the consistent guy that, you know, has been at 33 points each of the past two postseason runs. Uh, so he has more to give uh, in this series as well. And, and, you know, maybe last night was a sign of things about to come. Maybe the, you know, the, the dam is about to burst, so to speak, for Nikita Kucherov because he has that ability uh, at both ends, whether it's, you know, his assists or his goal scoring. He can do both. He's a master at both ends of, um, of that spectrum on offense. So, yeah, they, they have enough. Um, you know, you would like to see a guy like Brandon Hagel get on the score sheet a little bit more. He's a 20-goal scorer in, in Chicago before he showed up. He hasn't had that type of an offensive impact yet. Uh, Nick Paul stepped up and scored some big goals for them. So they have guys that can provide the offense. It's just, just how they're built. I mean, you look at the four uh, game-winning goal scorers in the series against uh, Florida. One was Pierre-Edouard Belmar. One was, um, one was Colton. Uh, Maroon, Pat Maroon had the series clincher in game four. Uh, you know, so you look at it, it's not the top guns that are scoring those, the big goals at key times. They actually, they spread it out pretty good. So yeah, they, they have enough uh, depth to be able to overcome that in the event that Braden point doesn't come back. All right, Eric, last one before I let you get out of here. Cause I know, I know we're all busy this time of year, but I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about the goalies, specifically Vasilevsky, which was a huge talking point for a lot of people going into this series. I, I think as several players have pointed out, it's hard to argue against Igor and Vasilevsky probably being the two best goalies in the world right now. We know Igor is probably going to win the Vesna, but Vasilevsky has two cups on his resume and, and was just outstanding in that game four clincher against Florida. Did, do you think what we saw uh, in game one was a little bit of rust? Did you think that maybe some of those goals were hard to blame him on? And, and I'm sure, you know, given his track record, if you want to just give everybody a little idea of, of what makes him so good and why you would expect him to bounce back. Well, him like the team after that uh, series disaster against Columbus in 2019, they just have found a different mental focus uh, and understanding how hard it is to win because they'd been close, right? They'd been to four conference finals in six years at that time and coming off that great regular season where they tie the NHL record for wins. Like they thought, okay, let's go. This is our year. We're going to do it. And they end up getting swept by Columbus. So they, they all came back the next year and it took a little bit to understand how hard it really was. Like you think you know how hard it is and until you've won it, maybe you don't truly understand how hard it is. So they just brought themselves back. And Vasilevsky is a big part of this to a different mental approach to how they play the game. And that is to be harder to play against and don't hang your goalie out so much to dry because as good as Vasilevsky is, if he has to face two on ones all the time, you know, you're just, he's just no goalie in the world is going to stop these shooters on a consistent basis. If you're going to hang him out to dry. So he has made he, taken this approach as the team has improved in front of him in their defensive approach is to just make sure you're stopping the next one, right? It's, it's the old grant Fuhrer sort of mentality. You don't have to stop them all, but you can't let in the next one, right? That's the, exactly what Wayne Gretzky talks about with Grant Fuhrer and, and what he did for those Oilers teams back in the 80s and all those cups they won. He might have let in four, but he wasn't going to let in number five, and they might win at 5-4. Um, that's the approach. So whether they have to win the game one nothing, as they've done a couple times, you think back to the Islanders in game seven, 
uh, last year in the semifinal round to get to the cup final. The Montreal clincher was a one nothing game as well. Or you have to win a game 5-4, which they've done a couple of times during this run. So that's just the approach. He just has this ability to shake things off. And he's talked a lot about how Ben Bishop taught him that and being able to be behind Ben Bishop for a couple of years because that's something that Ben Bishop had to learn in his career is you can't think about the one you just let in. You got to think about the next one you're going to stop. And, and that's where his mental approach has come and his ability to come back from, um, you know, tough losses or tough situations or tough games that he or the team has played. Um, but I got to tell you this, if you're Tampa Bay right now and you look at some of those chances they did create last night, that's just was for, I mean, look, Tampa Bay could have been up three, one, after the first period. I mean, Kucherov had a backdoor opportunity. I'm not sure how he missed it or if Shosturkin got a piece of it. He robbed Stamkos twice from the lower slot area. If if Shosturkin's going to play like that and you're watching a young goalie, and I've said this a couple of times, we're watching Andre Vasilevsky versus Andre Vasilevsky Jr. And, and, and I say that knowing that Shosturkin's only about two years younger than Andre Vasilevsky, but in terms of where he's at in his career compared to where Vasilevsky is, the styles they play, how they approach the game, how much they battle and they work, how technically sound both these goalies are. They never put themselves out of position. Uh, you know, they're never swimming around their crease. If, if, we've, if we've seen a young goalie in Shesterkin grow in confidence from that series against Pittsburgh, where he was pulled a couple of times, to what we saw last night in game one on that stage and the garden crowd cheering his name as they have through this entire postseason run and um, – you know, it's, it, it could be a tough nut to crack for Tampa Bay because Shesterkin is that good. He's proven that during the regular season. You never know how players are going to respond once they get onto the big stage. And he looked a little jittery at the beginning of it, but he's certainly grown from there. Um, but the other part of that is, too, is if uh, if the garden crowd woke up Andre Vasilevsky last night by chanting Igor's better, uh, they might regret that. <laughs> Yeah, that's been a big talking point uh, from some fans today. I got a couple of emails and saw a whole lot of tweets where people were worried about waking up the beast. I, I don't, you know, we'll see. We'll see how much that really motivates. And maybe it does. You know, Igor had talked about when the Pittsburgh fans were chanting at him that at first it was something that I think maybe you know, got him a little jittery, but over time he was able to use his fuel and, and maybe, maybe the Rangers fans will be doing the same thing for Vasilevsky in this series. Igor though, I will tell you, Every single one through seven, every single game against Carolina, he was outstanding. He has not had an off night in a while, and he looked like he picked up right where he left off in game one against Tampa. So he, he was really good. Although, I mean, you know, look, the way the Lightning are able to score on him is number one, a, a brilliant one timer from Stamkos. And then number two. And I know I've talked to Steve Valakat and some other former goalies and expert type people about this is the best way to beat a goalie like Igor is to create broken plays, whether it's rebounds or just yep. chaos around the net. And that's how Tampa was able to get their second goal. So I know that's going to be a focus of the Rangers to beat Vasilevsky. And if Tampa can do that to Igor, I'm sure that that would be a big thing for them as well. Going to be fun to watch. Definitely, I think I'm buckling up for a long series. That's just kind of what I anticipate with the way the Rangers have been going. But I do expect Tampa to bounce back, and I think it's going to be really fun. And, Eric, we really appreciate your time. Definitely check out his work at lightninginsider.com, and maybe we'll uh, we'll have you on again sometime down the line. So I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Vince. Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, we'll see you at the rink, man.
Welcome back, and thanks to Eric for taking the time to come on the show. I know he's been putting in a lot of hours and working really hard. This schedule is grueling, folks. Not as grueling as it is for the players, I'm sure, but I can tell you as a guy who's been covering the playoffs for a month now, I'm pretty tired. I'm sure Eric is as well, although he did get that break in between the second round and the Eastern Conference Finals to rest up, so I really appreciate him coming on, and honestly, one of my biggest takeaways from that is, or what I guess I should say one of the most interesting parts of that conversation that I found was, let's not go jump into conclusions about Braden Point quite yet. Sounds like he looked pretty good at practice on Thursday, and Eric is saying, you know, don't don't go ruling him out quite yet. So we'll see what happens with that. Getting him back would be huge. Again, to me, he's... Well, there's, there's so many good players on that team, but he's one of their three or four most important players. Their number one center. If you put him back in that lineup and you're able to slide Sorelli back to second line center, Paul back to third line center, and Colton back to fourth line center, that's some really, really good depth down the middle. So that would be huge for Tampa if they are able to get point back. But in the meantime, the Rangers need to take advantage of this situation, which they absolutely did in game one. All right. Let's jump into your Twitter questions. I'm going to try to run through a few of these quickly because I, as I mentioned, am pretty tired and would like to actually spend some time with my family tonight before I have to cover game two and then head to Tampa for game three. So I I see a lot of questions in here about the kid line. And a couple of them are in this form. I have Lou's right in front of me, so we're going to go with his. He wants to, he wrote, not to look ahead to the offseason in the middle of a magical run, but do you think there's a chance Heedle's performance in these playoffs could convince the Rangers to let Strom and Cop walk and use Heedle as the second-line center? So, Lou, I've been thinking about this a little bit. More in terms of what do we think Heedle is capable of moving forward because if he can maintain this standard if this is the new Philip Heedle if the inconsistencies are gone and he's going to play like this during the regular season next year and moving forward well then I think you might have a second line center on your hands let's not forget even though I know you all know this because it's mentioned everywhere all the time but he's only 22 years old now he feels like he's been here for a while because he has Jacob Truba pointed this out before the game. He's actually the third most tenured Ranger on the team. It's Kreider, Zabanajad, and Heedle, which is is pretty incredible to think. But he's been here for a while, but he's still super young and still has a lot of room to get better. I just want to see him maintain this pace. That speed that he has, which is, as we know, his probably best trait although he definitely has some skill and he definitely can do some other things well but if he can maintain this pace then he absolutely is a guy that you can see as a second line type player he has to get better on face-offs or you have to have somebody on his line who can take face-offs because right now he's last I looked at like 33 percent in these playoffs so you're not going to want to entrust him with a lot of important draws if that continues and that quite frankly is I think one of the main reasons the minutes for the kid line haven't been as high as they should be. I still do think Gallant needs to find more ways to get them out there, but he's not going to stick them out there for many defensive zone draws because he doesn't want to risk losing it if you're only winning one third of the time and then handing the other team a possession in a possible situation where they could run a set play and get a good scoring opportunity. So 
There are obviously areas of his game that he needs to work on, but he has been, as I mentioned in the first part of the show, to me, probably the biggest breakout star of these playoffs for the Rangers. So obviously that makes you rethink his role moving forward. I absolutely think the way that he's played in these playoffs has made him a keeper for next season for sure. I do not think you're going to trade him right now unless you get absolutely overwhelmed. So I do fully expect him to be on the team last year or next year, I should say, whether it's as a second or third line center. But I don't think that that means you don't need to have another center. You can't just say, okay, we're going to move Heedle up, but then who's playing third line, even if you do that. I still think that the Rangers need to bring somebody else in, whether it's a free agent and actually a name who came up in a conversation with somebody again recently, not that I, I'm reporting that the Rangers are definitely interested, but a name who somebody I was talking to thought made sense. And I know I've mentioned on the podcast before, when you're looking at the free agent class, some of the big names like Bergeron, who we don't even know if he's going to continue to play, or Malkin would be way too expensive for the Rangers, given their cap situation. Vincent Trocek, who we just saw with Carolina, is a free agent and I think might land somewhere in the Rangers price range. So Trocek is a name that if they were to explore free agency, I would keep an eye on. Trades are definitely a possibility. I think they're going to look into a lot of stuff there. And then, of course, Strom and Cop remain very distinct possibilities for the Rangers. And you guys have probably gotten this impression from hearing me for the last couple months and reading me or whatever it is that you do to follow this work. Obviously, if you're hearing me right now, you listen to the podcast. Or if you're a new listener, welcome. <laughs> but I, my gut feeling is definitely that Cop is the favorite over Strom right now for the Rangers, given price, given the versatility. And if you look at these playoffs, I think he has been a more valuable player for the Rangers than Strom. Offensively, I think he's been slightly more productive than Strom. I'm pretty sure he has more points than Strom. And then he also brings all the other aspects. He's better than Strom on faceoffs. He's a he's a better than Strom on penalty kills. He can play multiple positions. He's better than Strom defensively. So I think right now, Cop looks like the more valuable player. And quite frankly, from what I've heard, at least what the price tags were around the trade deadline, Cop was actually maybe looking for slightly less money than Strom. Now that could change. We'll see what happens in the coming games, in the coming weeks, especially if this run continues for the Rangers. But you guys know, I've told you this before, the Rangers were trying to negotiate a contract with Strom back in the fall, let's say late fall, early winter, in that five to five and a half million dollar per year range. If they can get Cop to, to settle for a number in that range, I think there's a real strong possibility that he's back. So Heedle... And his play, that's great. That's great news for the future. You can definitely consider him as an option on the second line. But the center depth is still not there behind him and Mika. So you're going to need somebody else, whether it's a free agent, a trade, or re-signing a guy like Cop. To me, the most, the highest probability right now would be Cop coming back. But I think there's a lot of variables there and a lot of things can happen. And I do expect Chris Drury to explore a variety of options. But one doesn't necessarily negate the other. I think you need both. So that would be my answer to that question. Okay, let's go to another question here. We have one from Michael Anthony. And I see a couple people asked about this this particular player as well. So this this makes sense as a way to go here. He said it's only one game, but Capo Caco looked the best he has all playoffs last night. Thoughts on his progress? 
Gallant seems to be pushing the right buttons, regardless of what the Twitter coaches and GMs say. For the three kids, he has shown the least, but last night was promising. I agree that that Kako has probably, if you're ranking the three guys in the kid line, been the least, I don't want to say impressive, but the least consistent, the least noticeable of those three. I would rank them as Hedl, Lafreniere, Kako. I think Lafreniere has also had a really strong playoffs. I think Kako has had moments, and you saw one of those moments on the first Hedl goal where Kako does what he does best. He's, he's at his best when he's able to control the puck, and he, he is able to fight with the puck through traffic and keep his eyes up and make those really savvy passes, which is what you saw. He's dancing behind the net. He he approaches and draws the defense as if he's maybe going to try for a wraparound attempt. But then what does he do? He splits the two defenders. He finds Heedle, puts the pass right in his wheelhouse. Easy one-timer for Heedle to convert. So that play, in a lot of respects, was was more Kako than Heedle because of the play that Kako made there. So that's why I believe you can't bury him on the fourth line. You need to keep him on the third line. You need to keep him with guys that can finish when he sets them up because, again, that is what he does best. But I think of those three kids, he's probably the slowest. I think he's definitely the least effective on the four check. I do think he's he's improved defensively, and he's not a liability there like you felt he was during his rookie season. But you'd like to see a little more of a consistent impact from him. With all that being said, though, we talk about age. This is a guy who's only 21 who is still growing and who I still believe has has pretty high upside. You'd like to see him continue to work on the skating. You'd like to see him get a little bit faster in the years to come. He's never going to be a burner, but but you do want to see him develop more in that area. I think he's added strength, which you can see when he's able to fight off defenders with the puck on a stick, like we've seen him do a handful of time in these playoffs. And I think you're, you're, you're definitely feeling, especially after that performance in game one, like there have been more positives than negatives with him in these playoffs so far. So I'm not jumping up and down and, and, and banging the horn for him like I am maybe for Heedle, because I think Heedle has made a bigger jump than we've seen from Kako in these playoffs. But that is not to discount that Kako has grown from this experience, as I think all of the young players have. Keandre Miller, for sure. And a guy I wrote about today for a story that you guys can go check out, the story that went up on Thursday, was Braden Schneider, who, listen, if we're being honest, he's playing sheltered minutes right now. I think it's under 12 a game he's averaging. So the Rangers aren't throwing him out there in a lot of really big key situations. They're definitely relying on their top four defensemen. But you see, you love to see Schneider in these situations, whether it was banging around with Pat Maroon in front of the net or at the end of the game when the scrum happened. And he caught Cal Foote, who's a six foot four defenseman for the Tampa Bay Lightning, really kind of throwing punches at and pushing around Tyler Mott, who's a, who's a smaller guy. And what did Schneider do? He was one of the first guys in there to mix it up and ends up getting into it with foot and defending his teammates. So I think that these are all moments of growth. These are all great experiences for these young players. And as I've said to you guys before, no matter what happens for the Rangers in these playoffs, the future looks very bright. And it is great that these kids are getting this experience under their belt. Now, that question was asked to Schneider today, and Schneider pretty bluntly said, listen, we're not really having those conversations 
we're focused on the moment. We're focused on the here and now, and we want to win right now. And that is absolutely the right attitude because you can't take anything for granted, and you never know when you might get this opportunity again. So I think if you're a Rangers fan, you love to hear that from him. But all of these young guys, Kako, Schneider, go on down the list, this is, this is much more positive for them than it is negative. We can nitpick aspects of their game that need to be improved, and I definitely think in Kako's case there are some of those. And as I said, I, I don't think he's been quite as as outstanding as Hedl and Lafreniere have been. But I also don't think that that he deserves a whole lot of criticism right now because I do think that he's had his moments and, and has made some positive contributions for the team. All right. Last one, we're going to go with Jeffrey Brauner here. I had a couple people asking these kind of questions, so we'll get into it a little bit here. He wants to know... We'll actually start with the second question and finish with the first one because the first one's more personal. The second one's about the team. His second question is, any insight into how the reserves and black aces are doing? I feel like in a more open schedule, there might have been more time for reporting on those less important things. The reserves seem to be doing fine. I mean, those guys are skating every day. They're trying to stay as sharp as they can. You can see these morning skates that the Rangers have at this point in the playoffs are incredibly short. They're on the ice for like 15, 20 minutes. They're pretty much not practicing anymore. Today was a perfect example. They said they were going to have a practice, and the only regular guys who decided to take the ice were Justin Braun and Braden Schneider. The vast majority of the veterans are taking the opportunity to rest. That is the priority right now, and there's really not much for them to practice. They go over video. They have meetings. They make adjustments that way, but... The, the priority for Gallant has definitely been keeping them off their feet, saving their energy for the games. But what you have is the extras, and the Rangers have a lot of them who are still hanging around. Those guys are getting pretty hard skates in every day to make sure that if they are called upon due to injury or what have you, that they are ready, that their stanima is there, and they're prepared for the games. And we've been seeing those guys in the press box all the time. I've, I've run into Sammy Blay like, I don't know, at least a dozen times in the last couple of weeks. He seems to be doing really well, by the way. Now, Gallant did tell us before the game on game one when I asked that he thinks it's very unlikely that Blay will play in this series. You got to remember, the guy's only six months removed from ACL surgery. So that would be a really quick turnaround. I, I don't think you have to force it. I think the lineup is in pretty good shape the way that it is right now. Maybe if later in the series they have an injury or if they make it to the Stanley Cup final, we'll reassess. I would definitely ask Glant again. But from the Rangers' perspective, I think pushing him and risking any kind of a setback is, is not a good idea. So I wouldn't go getting my hopes up for Blay right now. But he does seem to be moving around pretty well on the ice and off the ice. And I also did run into a bunch of the Hartford guys. I saw Zach Jones, Tim Gettinger, Chris Knobloch, the head coach. A bunch of them were in the press box at the Garden for game one watching the game. So a lot of those guys are definitely still hanging around. The second part of your question, Jeffrey, is how has this compressed schedule been for you as a reporter? Well, I can tell you it has been very tiring. I don't know if I have had a stretch of time where I feel like I've slept less than I have recently. And that includes when my son was first born. It might be close He was a pretty good sleeper from the beginning, but now what we have is especially these eight o'clock starts. I mean, you guys, you got maybe you guys like them because it gives you more time to have your dinner and get settled. But these eight o'clock starts, 
I'm getting home at like 1.30 in the morning and trust me, my son isn't saying, oh, well, daddy stayed out an extra hour last night, so I'm going to sleep an extra hour. No, he's still getting up at 7 a.m., which is definitely limiting my sleep. And then I'm constantly getting up to catch flights and bouncing back here and there and, and just a ton of traveling at this time of year, writing pretty much every day, at least one story, most days two or three, trying to squeeze in the podcast when I can. Uh, there's a lot more, and this is all good stuff, trust me. I mean, I'm, I'm having fun with it, but there's a lot more you know, TV responsibilities. You guys know I'm doing the SNY thing after every game. Been doing NHL Network, did NBC, a bunch of radio stuff. So it, it's great. It's exciting. I'm loving it. it. It is like, it's such a cool feeling to be in the middle of what is currently the hottest topic in town, at least as far as sports are concerned. It's amazing how many people want to talk about the Rangers right now, where hockey is kind of an afterthought in the sports world for 11 months out of the year. But when a local team is on a run like this, all of a sudden everybody wants a piece of it. And and it's been really cool to, to, to observe that, to see how much the city is getting behind the team, to be at all of these games and feel your energy. MSG has been electric, especially in the last handful of games. There was a couple where I think the ner- the energy in there was kind of nervous, but now you guys are you guys got some good vibes going on. It's been really, really cool to be in that building. It's been really, really cool to go to some of these cities. You know, there are obviously some downsides. It's grueling. And, you know, like little things like this, I don't want to get too emotional here, but, you know, my son is at the age now where he knows when I'm leaving and he understands that sometimes I leave and I don't come home for four or five days. So he's like crying every time I walk out the door now, which is really sad. It breaks your heart every time. So listen, there are sacrifices that everybody makes in every career. So by no means am I complaining, but, you know, having a family and doing this is, is different than my first season on the beat especially pre-COVID when I was traveling and did not have a child at the time. And I just felt like I had a lot more freedom and flexibility. Now when I come home, my priority is obviously spending time with the family. You know, I haven't seen a lot of my friends in a long time. I have not played golf once this year. So I'm definitely looking forward to maybe getting out on the course a couple times once the season is over. But it's all worth it. This is this is a job that I love. This is a job that I coveted. This is a job that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. And I'm having a blast. But you know, if you're asking me the truth about how the how the schedule has been treating me, it, it's not always the easiest. And uh, you know, there are definitely sacrifices that have to be made. But there are sacrifices in everything. I'm sure all of you have career choices that you make and and things that you do that might not always you know feel the best. And you might lose time with your family and all that kind of stuff. But it is, a, it is a beautiful, beautiful job, and it is a job that I love doing, and I appreciate all of you for following along. You can feel the buzz, the coverage, the, the, the stories, the podcast, all that stuff. It's been amazing getting the feedback from you guys, You know, whether it's getting recognized around the arena or all the emails or the tweets. My grandmother actually called me today. I don't know if this guy's listening. My grandmother had a guy come to work on uh, her refrigerator today, and he was talking about the Rangers. And uh, apparently she told him, oh, my grandson writes about the Rangers. And he, he was like, oh, is, is your grandson by chance Vince Mercogliano? Because that's that's my favorite guy. And then, of course, they called me and I got to talk to the guy. It was pretty cool. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, things like that really kind of humble you and, and make you appreciate everything. So anyway, that's my that's my little spiel on that. I'm going to get going because, like I said, time with the family is precious right now. This is the last dinner I'm going to have with them for like the next five or six nights. So. I promised I would cook tonight. I'm going to go get that ready. I hope all of you are enjoying this ride. I hope you enjoyed the show. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I will talk to you next time.